Well, welcome to the Kingdom Roots podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. My name is Laura Taro, and today on the podcast, we have Chuck DeGroat as our guest to talk about when narcissism comes to church. Chuck is a professor of pastoral care and Christian spirituality at Western Theological Seminary, and he recently wrote a book entitled When Narcissism Comes to Church, Healing Your Community from Emotional and Spiritual Abuse. And Chuck, I heard you say um, that narcissism is sort of a family problem in the church that we need to talk about. So we want to talk about how to understand what drives the narcissistic leader and why the church tends to follow narcissistic leaders. So I think we can start there. What, what made you want to write this book? Oh, well, so th- I, I would say that this is the only book that I've written that felt like a duty. Uh, I've, I've written some other things and they came from kind of the deep place, you know, where you kind of just feel like you have to write it. Right. But this was, this was very much something that came out of a series of conversations with a large church down South. Uh, I was doing some consulting. They were looking for resources. We were untangling massive narcissism in, in the leader, in the systems. Uh, they were, they were not finding the kinds of resources that they they thought they needed. And one of the pastors said, hey, you ought to write something that w- would be really accessible, uh, a kind of diagnostic that would put words to this. And I said, that's the last thing that I want to write. And I really meant it at the time. But uh, in conversation with a few other folks, it just, it, it, it sort of, it sort of became, like I said, a duty. And I don't mean to say in any way that that means that it wasn't a delight at some level too, but uh, it, it came out of a really pragmatic need uh, that I was hearing, not just from one pastor, but from a number of pastors. Yeah. Yeah, so you were do, doing some consulting work, working with a church, and this was an issue they were struggling with at the time. And they didn't have language to talk about it. That's right. Is and that a fair I, assessment? That's a fair assessment, and I think that's that's often the case in my experience. Um, and I was a pastor for 15 years. I'm I'm a seminary prof now, and I've been, you know, doing this work for quite a while. And it's always stunning to me. You know, it's, of course, Scott Scott's book just came out, and there are a few others. There are a number of us over the last year or so. I'm really grateful, uh, Diane Langberg, Wade Mullen, others who've written on this. And it's always stunning to me to hear from folks, well, we just didn't know that this was a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, my own experience of this goes back to the late 1990s, my first gig in ministry and being asked to do some counseling. Uh, I was a pastor on staff at a larger church. I had an MDiv and a counseling degree that was asked to do some counseling for an elder of the church, an elder and his, his wife. And I saw very clearly narcissistic emotional abuse in that relationship. And I remember bringing, bringing that up, and it was like, you don't do this with elders in the church, you know? Like, this guy gives a lot of money to the church, Chuck. You yeah, do not yeah. rock this boat, right? So, yeah. 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 Well, um, I find it interesting when you just said, Chuck, that uh, it's not a book you wanted to write. I, I resisted... Uh, writing with my daughter this book on Tove uh, for similar reasons. I thought, uh, 
am I the one to write this? I mean, why should I? But it just came along and you just get to where you sense it's a burden where you think, I think I have something to say. I think Laura had things to contribute. And so we we started working on it. And then, in a sense, it was delightful. But um, it was heavy at the same time. You know, Chuck, when you talk about narcissism, I, ha- I have a uh, distinct advantage on this. My wife's a psychologist. And so when narcissism came up years ago when she started talking about it, I read a little bit about it. I read some of the Theodore Milan book on, diagno- on the diagno- diagnostic stuff. But um, what, what are some simple, clear categories that we can use that help people understand what narcissism is? I mean, it, it's one thing to say, well, the guy's successful, she's successful, got to be a narcissist. It's just not that simple. So um, what, what kind of categories, terms, language do you think we can use to make this clearer for people? Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you bring up Theodore Milan because the primary clinical assessment that I use in my pastoral assessments, my candidate church planning assessments, is the Milan Clinical Multiaxial Inventory, um, inspired by the work of Theodore Milan, who, who actually, at least in the testing, places people along a spectrum. And I find this really, really helpful. Uh, so when we're talking about narcissism, just to step back for a moment, at least according to the DSM-5, which is sort of the Bible for psycholo- psychologists, right? Talking about grandiosity, entitlement, attention-seeking, a lack of empathy. Well, there, there are people, I, mean, I, I often say, uh, how many people uh, want to spend their life getting up on stage and saying, this is the word of the Lord? You know, that pastors, people who get into ministry aren't generally afraid of public speaking. They aren't afraid to speak on behalf of God. That takes a little chutzpah, you know? So, yeah, But does yeah, that yeah. mean that she's, she's a narcissist, right? Not necessarily. This is why I think the spectrum language is so important, because what Milan said is that there, there's a kind of healthy um, sense of confidence that we can, uh, we, we can see in people who get up on stage or say, I've got something to say about that. You know, Scott mm-hmm. writes, I'm sure there are a lot of people in the audience like me who's written everything that Scott's written, or read everything that Scott's written. <laughs> he's confident. Um, it doesn't mean he's a narcissist. He gets up on stage and says, this is a good way of understanding this text. doesn't mean he's a narcissist. What Milan says is that as you move along the spectrum, um, there you can begin to see some troublesome symptoms. Now, that doesn't mean that a person is narcissistic personality disorder either, but it may represent a personality um, type. In other words, certain more characterological aspects of, of the personality that, um, that uh, are problematic, that might be troublesome in particular kinds of relationships or their vocational. Well, you move down the spectrum a little further, and that's where you get to narcissistic personality disorder. And that's where you begin to see the language of the DSM as impairments in relationships, vocation. This is where you begin to see this de- debris field of damage appear Sometimes it's behind the scenes. Sometimes people don't even know what's going on. Yep. Uh, they, they find out later that there were 13 staff members that left the church because of this person's narcissism. But, but it's not seen by the parishioners. Um, and yet there's this right. debris field of pain, right? Does that help? Does that get at yeah, what you're asking? Yeah. 
You know, to me, one it's interesting of the, too. Yeah, go ahead, Laura. I was just going to say the staff usually knows, right? Um, because they're in more of those direct relationships and it gets tougher to hide in that sort of environment. But it, we talked to Diane Langberg not long ago. And one of the things she talked about is it's sort of this perf- perfect storm of churches are full of vulnerable people. And then you pair that with somebody who has some of these characteristics or tendencies and, and you're sort of inviting chaos to happen. Like yeah. she was saying that pastors need to know how to, how they themselves react to vulnerable people. And I thought, Oh, that's a really interesting characteristic or thing to pay attention to. Like yeah. in those situations, do we, do we resort to power to get our way? Like, do we take shortcuts how do we respond to a person's vulnerability? Which I think is an interesting question to ask. Yeah. You know, Chuck, when you bring up a lack of empathy, uh, there's also, uh, my wife, Chris, taught me uh, to think of a lack of insight, personal insight into, into narcissists don't recognize their narcissism. Mm-hmm. They recognize their strengths, maybe, and they recognize everybody else is weak. So therefore, they, you know, they they resort to power. So, um, I'm um, I'm curious about this question because I looked at a book and an article and a blog, uh, but I think it was a Canadian and it may have been a D-Men student who made the suggestion or conclusion from his research that seventy percent of pastors, I think it was something like that, are narcissistic. Now he got criticized. His research got criticized because he yes, didn't have. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, didn't yeah. have great uh, yeah. statistics. Didn't really test it well. But there was something in me that said, "Okay, that may be a little bit high." But all right, let's think about this. What do you? What do you? Th- how pervasive is it? Yeah. So yeah, you're right. That was that they had to go back and uh, rewrite that book, and uh, that study was invalidated at some point along the way. But I think a number of us read read the research, and we said, "Oh, that makes sense of a lot of what we're seeing as well." Um, you know, I went back through my psychological testing over the last 15 years, and of course, when you do this kind of work, and this was a critique of their study, it's not necessarily generalizable, you know, to other populations. But when I look at my own psychological assessments, um, I would I, I I would say that it was about 85 to 90 percent uh, were on the cluster B spectrum of personality disorders. Does that language resonate with you all? Cluster B is narcissistic, yeah. histrionic, borderline. That's that's the kind of narcissistic spectrum, right? Now, that doesn't mean that 85 to 90% are narcissistic personality disorder. And I always have to make that, but that they're on that spectrum, you know, that a certain kind of personality type, you might say, is drawn to pastoral ministry. That we don't see people in cluster A or cluster C. In other words, we don't see people with more psychosis symptoms or dependent personality. We see people who have more dramatic personalities, right? Uh, more, more uh, like kind of large, grandiose personalities. Uh, so, so that that helps me in a sense understand that there's a particular person drawn to ministry, um, and that under underneath a personality type, there's always a story. Right, and this is what this is really important part of, of uh, my own work, uh, and probably the part where I get most critiqued is that um, 
we, we can't simply uh, reduce someone to a personality type or disorder, right? Or a diagnosis or even sinner. That there's, um, that there's always a larger story that we're beautiful and we're broken, that we're sinner and we're saint, right? And underneath there's a story, often a story of, of immense pain, and that there's some sort of compensation going on. You know, the person who becomes the pastor who helps others is oftentimes a person who holds deep pain in her heart and wants to be helped herself. Um, but this is her way of compensating. And so a lot of the work that I do is helping people understand that deeper story, the below the water line, when you think about an iceberg, right, the below the water line reality of what's really motivating what I do, why do I need to, why do I need approval in that way? Why do I need to be seen as so special mm. or blessed yeah. or anointed or powerful or whatever it might be? Mm. Yeah. Very good. Very I think good. That, la- that, that language of identifying this story and having compassion on the person with these tendencies is really helpful because yeah. I think in the moment we might be tempted to label these people as monsters or, you know, yes. to make them the villain in our story. Um, but to have more, maybe more of a openness to, to hearing what's, what's led them to this place. But I think one of the questions that Scott and I have talked about is how should church people respond or what should they do um, if they begin to think that their own pastor fits in this category Um, or perhaps an elder board or, you know, other leaders as they're beginning to bump into problems with this what should be some steps that they take? Yeah, so that's that's always that's a really good compli- good question and a complicated question. Um, uh, I'm uh, you know so I I've always worn this dual hat of like pastor and therapist, right? And so I uh, it, it's hard for me to make generalizations when I sit with people and they tell me their stories, and each and every story is unique, right? And each mm-hmm. and every experience pain within the church is unique. Oftentimes when people come to me and say, I think something is going on. I think, uh, Scott, you've probably gotten some of this where I've gotten emails now for the last six, seven, eight months since the book came out. Let me tell you my story. And then yep, 17 yep. paragraphs later, right? And there's no, there's no easy answer. There's no kind of generalizable recipe that I can give them. More often than not, I say... I would love for you to begin by doing some of your own work. Sit with someone who understands these dynamics, um, whether that's a therapist, a spiritual director, someone who understands these particular kinds of dynamics, and bring your unique story to them and begin processing. And part, part of that is for them to have the kind of support that they need to make the decisions that they need to make, whether or not that's, hey, I, I want to kind of collaborate with a couple of other folks and uh, bring this up in an elder meeting. Or uh, we, we want to kind of cluster together and bring um, a complaint to uh, the elder board, whatever it might be. You know, there are a number of different strategies, but I want that to come out of a place of real reflection uh, rather than reactivity. And that's language I use a lot, reflect, not react. Uh, when we react you end up in a situation I was in 17 years ago when I lost my first job in ministry by reactively calling out the pastor for being a narcissist. It was not my best moment. And uh, whether, whether I was right or wrong or somewhere in the middle, I was, I, I was, I was arrogant. <laughs> and um, I was angry and traumatized and reactive. And I learned from that. I learned to step back and to, to kind of 
say, so, okay, so what would it look like for you to sort of process what's going on inside of you? And what would it look like to bring in other people into that conversation um, and to approach it in a more um, wise way? I, I, I don't, I'm not trying to avoid uh, the question at all. I'm just trying to say it's, it's hard to come up with a particular kind of recipe uh, that, that addresses all the different situations. Does that make sense? It does. You know, I think one of the things Chuck, I noticed in your – yeah, go ahead, Scott. You know, Chuck, one of the things that's happened to Laura, not this Laura, my daughter Laura and me, mm-hmm. is the number – we've gotten a lot of letters. I mean, and for a while it was a little overwhelming, too many, too many of them. But because we dealt with sexual abuse of women mm-hmm. by leaders, we've heard some stories like this. And here you have women who are intensely vulnerable, who if they come forward, they're just going to get battered by a church group. And they're afraid of that. Uh, they're afraid of what's going to happen to their own lives. And so these... Um, I'm interested in your answer to the question of how to deal with your pastor this way because it becomes about 10 times more significant when it's one woman who has experienced this from a pastor. We are right now, my daughter especially, is dealing with a woman, and and this is, this is a big one, and scared to death. I mean, she's, she is actually afraid uh, at the highest level. Of what could happen to her. Yes. Yes. Um, so that, but we believe as well that these people uh, who are in these situations, as you said about narcissism, have to they have to kind of find someone they can talk to about this and start working with it, almost to the point where, if they're going to ever be able to go public, Diane Langberg said this to us a couple weeks ago. They have to be pretty much healed or in a pretty healthy place to be able to go forward. That's it. So, yeah. Scott, I think that's right on. I think that's right on. And by, by the way, all of us are like thinking Diane's thoughts after her anyway. I mean, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I said the other day on Twitter, uh, you know, we uh, there. I was with a group of people. We used to gather around the CD player and listen to Diane's CDs. So, um, she's, uh, I, I just sort of echo things that I've learned from Diane over the years, but, uh, anyway, to say she's, um, I'm kind of a fanboy. but what you're talking about, Scott, particularly in or around sexual abuse, such a violation, right? Um, there, there is significant healing that needs to happen, um, for one to be able to, to even enter into the orbit of their abuser. And uh, significant care that needs to happen in this person's life. So w- when we think about this at a larger level, a congregational level, um, at a systemic level, uh, we, we all know the stories of, of lead pastors or narcissistic leaders who uh, will, will quickly point the finger or shame or victimize, re-traumatize the person who brings the accusation. Um, and that person's got to be prepared for that. I mean, they're going into war. Yep. I think that's yep. language that I, I learned from Diane. You're going into war. And so I think that's why Diane would say, you've got to be pr- pretty significantly uh, along in your journey of healing to be able to engage that. When I think about the women who are involved with Willow Creek and the work that they've done, probably continue to do, right? Um, 
Because you're not just facing what happens out on the outside. You're facing your own, the voice inside of you that says, you know what, you're just making this up. It's not as bad as you think it was. Um, Surely there's another way of going about doing this. Um, You know, it's, it's all your fault. Whatever the message might be, you're not just facing that external critique. You're facing your internal critique as well. That, that is so true. Okay, now, if it is true that uh, in your study that uh, a lot of pastors are on some kind of spectrum, or you know they're on they're somewhere dramatic, hysterical type personalities with a little bit of grandiosity and dreams of the next big mega church and all this sort of thing, power, success, they're good. Let's just say that a pastor. Um, recognizes this about herself or himself. Yeah, yeah. What, what, what can they do to form a character and personality that can break away from that those tendencies? I, I've often wondered about this one. Is uh, is it inevitable? Is it is it unstoppable? Are are these types of personalities incurable? What what can be done for them? Okay, so now we're stepping into some territory that I, I'm, I'm beginning to think about what's next for me in terms of a writing project, and I've got a sabbatical, a sabbatical coming up this fall, and I think this is where I'm going to go with it. Mm. I, in part because I think when we, when we begin to talk about what I call cultivating character, for many what that looks like is um, layering layering niceties on top of pathology. Well, if only you just do this mm. a little bit better or say this a little bit better or think about this a little bit better or whatever, do a little bit more counseling or uh, be a little less argumentative in a meeting. It's generally behavioral, right? You're laying, layering mm. kind of cognitive behavioral um, uh, character traits on top of a pathology. And that's a, that's a significant problem. And I do think uh, that that real sort of character building uh, requires you. How do I say this in a way that's most understandable? It requires you to to do a deep dive into your shadow side, the parts of you that you are afraid of, don't want to talk about, don't want anyone to see. Um, and let me give you a kind of a concrete picture of this. I've sat with many, many men in particular over the years who are on the narcissistic spectrum, if not diagnosably narcissistic. And what they want to know is, what do I do? How do I do? I, I want to deal with this. You know, they're very pragma, pragmatic, right? How do, is there a book that I can read? Is there something that I can, I just want to get through this, you know, so I can, so I can be an agent of the kingdom of God and do what it, I've been called to do. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not the way cruciform growth works, you know, that's not the way of Jesus. Uh, it often gets a lot tougher before it gets better. And that requires us to look at some of the hard stuff. And generally, when we begin to get into their stories, we get into profound pain. I mean, I'm talking really young um, stories of bullying and abuse. And if they let me in, that's where I, the tears begin to come. Uh, that's where I see the kind of uh, cathartic, I can't believe this happened. I'm so scared. I'm terrified. It's, it's almost like the person I'm sitting with in the room goes from a put together, 
you know how some of these guys dress and they got the you know the whatever the jeans they wear now and the the blazer and the shirt and the manicured hair and the fitness and and now they look like a little boy i mean they're sitting in my office and the tears are coming they're hunched over and i'm holding them and they're weeping like a child and that's you know kind of a roundabout way to get to scott's answer it begins kind of from the inside out them recognizing the deep pain that they're in perhaps some of the abuse that they've experienced the bullying recognizing their own shame and i've seen on occasion this is really rare but i've i've seen people do this kind of work where uh a recent experience i won't give too many details uh i i met up with a guy who was a church planter many many years ago 15 years ago had an affair began to deal with narcissism back, let's say, 2008, 9, 10. I said, you need to step away. He said, I'll step away. I'll do the work. Hmm. Stepped away, started to do the work. About five years ago, got in touch with me. I, I want to get into ministry, but I don't, I don't think I'm ready. I still think that there are things that I'm not seeing. I'm going to continue to wow. do the work. Wow. wow. Six months ago, I think I'm beginning to step, I'm willing to step in. I, I think that should begin with like a halftime, really, really assistant pastor, you know? And this is someone who is on the top, a very successful urban church planter. That's different. That's the kind of uh, emergence of character. Uh, and, and, and he feels different to me. Talking to this man, it feels like he's a man of substance now. Um, mm. That's the work that it takes. Mm. Wow. That shows well, a level of self-awareness. Yeah, yeah. Yes. That's the insight yeah. area, isn't it? Yeah. Wow, that was yeah. that, that was that was well that statement you made, Chuck, about uh layers on top of pathologies. Mm -hmm. that, that really speaks, I think. I think that's yeah. Uh, it's yeah. they want to fix it. That's right. Rather rather that's than right. resolve it. Yeah. Well, and, and you're even, a seminary professor. I'm a seminary professor. What can we do in seminary with our yeah. students to help them see this as a problem and to work on it so that when they are in churches, they won't inflict, inflict a, a narcissistic personality on their churches? Yeah. Well, so, Scott, if you and I could figure this out, we could... Uh, we could we could we could do something together. Um, uh, <laughs> seminaries are trying to crack the code here, and um, and with not a whole lot of success. I mean, I think um, I, I'm f pretty familiar with Northern. I know at Western we've uh, spent a lot of time over the last 20 years. I've only been there seven, but uh, this this was happening before I got there. Spent a lot of time on formation, the formation of students, mm -hmm. um, and that can happen in in any number of, of ways. Uh, what's what's a little difficult is uh, you only have a certain number of credits that you can work with, right? And a certain mm -hmm. period of time, and more and more people are saying, "I don't need seminary education. Um, I can be a multi-site pastor um, because I'm a good-looking guy that can speak well from the stage, you know." And so fewer people go into seminary. There there are particular things that I've seen uh, as helpful in the work that we've done. One of those things is that. Uh, we we invite students or require students to be a part of peer groups where they're together over the course of a couple of years. I think one of the big things with narcissism is um, answering the question, how do you experience me? Um, a a one-time incident doesn't tell me a whole lot. 
spending time with students um, in the context of relationship over a period of time, well, then you begin to see certain patterns emerge. And uh, a, a good peer group that's led well can be a really formational uh, experience for students. Um, we use a tool called the Enneagram. I don't think it's the end-all be-all. I don't have an Enneagram tattoo. I know, Scott, Scott, you're a little bit suspicious of the Enneagram, right? So I won't talk too much about it. But <laughs> I, I don't know anything about it. Uh, I really don't. I know. It's, I've, I've, for, it, yeah. Go ahead. It's for me. It's a tool, um, one tool of of many that can get at uh, characterological patterns, relational patterns, um, sin patterns in a person's life, and we'll use that as a way of, of people gaining some insight into particular kinds of patterns. You know, I'm, I'm an Enneagram four, so I have this unique longing to be special. You know, I want people to see me as, wow, he's different. He's you. I'm, I'm an Enneagram three. I I love to be on stage. I love the applause. You know, these are ways of sort of type sin typologies, you might say. And we use that as a tool. We hope that they'll sit with that long enough that they begin to say, wow, I see that playing out here and here and here and here and here. We do some we do some personality assessment. Uh, we've got a couple of courses. I teach one course called Pastor's Person where we invite you to look at your story, your family story, to connect the dots of your family of origin story, um, to, to, uh, to connect that to how you relate today. Um, so what we're, we're trying to do is we're trying to give, in particular pieces of the curriculum, give attention to these questions um, and to be really engaged with their teaching churches where they go out and serve so that when they're doing pastoral internships, we're in relationship, we're, we're comparing notes. We do a mid-program review halfway through to say, what are we learning from all these different pieces? From teaching church, from uh, Chuck's classes, from the, the kind of peer group work that they're doing. And then they graduate, they walk the stage, and two years later, we hear he had the affair. Uh, we think there may be some narcissistic abuse going on here. You know, there's no surefire way to prevent yeah, this. We just yeah. do what we can to help them along the way, to gain some insight, to deepen their sense of repentance, um, and mm. and pray them out of there. You know, pray them into their first ministry and, and, yeah. and hope that they've got some good people around them, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Any, anything that you would share from your experience at Northern that you'd say, hey, this has been really helpful to us? Well, I, you know, um, I teach a New Testament degrees, you know, a DMIN court level and an, an MA level. It's not quite, it's just not the fullness of, of a curriculum that would be involved with the MDiv students. We don't have a required psychology class. When I was at Trinity, we did. And um, I'll be the first to admit that at times I thought some of the psychology students needed that degree more than they, uh, <laughs> they you know. Uh, but I also, over time, began to realize some of our MDiv students needed those courses, too. But I, yes. I deeply appreciated Gary, whatever his last name was. He was a, he was a well-known people helper book uh and he he was good at this, and it just it gave the seminary yeah. um, a depth of self perception. People were talking about these things a lot, and I thought that was really helpful. And I really miss it at Northern. 
And I know it's expensive to hire a psychologist and have a whole degree in that, get a master's and everything. But uh, I do think that we could we could benefit from that. And um, I think the peer group, the cohort group, uh, over time, the students who are the healthiest become sort of the pastors of the group. Yeah. And and it's it's pretty amazing to me is to say mm-hmm. there's the pastor of the, or there's those are four pastors in this group of 20 students. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who who the students are going to for help. And I mm-hmm. I I like that. But that interaction because we have cohorts there's there's an intimacy of relationship yeah. that I think yeah. can be healing yeah. and revealing at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Well, Chuck, we really appreciate you. This has been uh, this has been a wonderful uh, podcast. I've really enjoyed getting to hear you talk about these things. We didn't just rehearse what's in your book, which I think is a yeah. fantastic book. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I told I was telling Laura before when we wrote the, uh, the section on narcissism in the in our book on Tove, I felt like I could have just downloaded your whole book right there and said this this is what yeah. you need to read. But uh, yeah. So I just want to say thanks for for your work that you're doing, and uh, I I want to, I want you to know I think your students are lucky to have you. Mm, thanks, that means a lot. Yeah, I'm glad we're in this together. I'm I'm so grateful. I I don't think this is a territorial kind of conversation, right? Like uh, I think when I when I think about Diane's book coming out this year and your book, Scott, and uh, your your wonderful daughter daughter Laura, who I'm getting to know through. Twitter of all things, you know, she's yeah. just, she's brilliant and she offers such goodness. Um, and, uh, it's just so fun kind of watching, watching her engage, uh, Wade Mullins, great book. I mm-hmm. think that this is a moment of reckoning, uh, in the church, right? And, uh, I don't, I don't think it's a, a one book or a one podcast kind of thing. Yeah. It, it seems yeah. that it's taking a number of us who really love Jesus, re- really love the church, we're not willing to be merely cynical about these things, you know, or point mm-hmm. fingers or throw grenades. But, and and I I really appreciate appreciate the hopeful tone of your really honest book, and it's profoundly yeah. honest, but it's deeply hopeful too. So thank you, mm-hmm. thank you, thank you. Yeah, it's good to be with you. Good to be with you, yeah. Chuck. Thank you. Thank you, Laura. Well, yeah, this is fantastic, and I I do think God seems to be on the move around yeah. this area, around this conversation, because I remember in the last year seeing, seeing what you're saying, a series of these books coming out at the same time. And I thought, well, this, yeah. this is not a coincidence. This is God tr- shining a spotlight on something we need to pay attention to. So right. I appreciate yeah. that. Well, thank you for being on the Kingdom Roots podcast. And we look bo- forward to being with all of you next time as we continue our conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.